0: Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hello, welcome to today's podcast. Russell and I are here with Larry Hobbs as our guest today, and we're so excited to interview Larry. Hi, Larry, how are you tuning?
1: I am doing fine, thank you. Hey, Larry. Hey, Russell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Are you down in North Carolina today?
1: Yes, I'm always down in North Carolina.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Larry, you your la- your middle name, you got a middle name is how do you say that? It's Julio.
1: Uh my mother is from Italy. She came over as a war bride. Oh. Okay.
2: Wow. Wow. So my my grandfather was was in Italy for 2 years. And he, uh, he slept in a ditch the whole time, or a, I guess a, they call it a foxhole. Yeah. And he didn't bring home a war bride.
1: Yeah, well, somehow my mother hooked up with my dad at a club when she was supposed to be in confession. And <laughs> they ended up hooking up and she got kicked out and she ended up coming to America, you know, like Eddie Murphy and coming to America yeah Yeah.
2: (laughs) wow wow that's amazing she got here i think it was 1949 right oh after like four years after the whole thing ended up yes so that's how i ended
1: up here
0: so you're an authentic italian american yes (laughs) (laughs) and we read that you're allergic to garlic is that true
1: Actually, yes it is. I I have some I'm I used to think, you know, as a kid that my mother was trying to poison me. <laughs> really? Every time she cooked, I got sick. And then I realized as I got older, you know, it's the garlic. That's every time I eat garlic, I get a splitting headache and nauseous.
0: Oh my gosh, that must have been really difficult as a child.
1: Yeah, considering she used garlic in every single
0: thing. Right. <laughs>
2: Would she just yell at you? What would she do? Would she get mad?
1: Uh, no, they expected me to do something, and but they couldn't. They thought I was actually making myself get sick. Just really? so I wouldn't have to eat the food. So, but it was actually her cooking was making me sick.
0: <laughs> That's sounds <Yep>. absolutely detrimental.
1: <laughs> totally,
0: but very sadfic, right? <laughs> oh
1: yes, very.
0: You were a true yogi at heart there.
2: Yes, I get to keep that out of my diet. Yeah. (laughs) Did did your mom speak to you in Italian? Yes, she spoke
1: in Italian to us all the time uh, and I just laughed at her because I didn't know I didn't understand what she was saying and she couldn't speak English so I was learning English from others but not from her and she's 95 now and she still doesn't speak that good of English after all the years. So, so you, never, you never had a conversation with your mom, not once. <laughs> not in Italian, except for some dirty words,
2: but in some
1: <laughs> hand signals, that's about it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Did she open a restaurant there? You all from Wilmington?
1: Yes. Uh, no, she but she worked in an Italian restaurant for many, many years where she would give all these recipes. And I used to chuckle when I would listen to her talking about, you know, cooking because I was going like, please, you don't want to eat her food. <laughs> <laughs> Is this going to make you sick because she's going to use tons of garlic.
0: <laughs> and where did where was she doing this cooking show?
1: Uh, actually, uh, she was doing it over the radio.
0: Oh, cool. (laughs) It used to be called called Mama's uh, Kitchen.
2: Mama's Kitchen. Mama's Kitchen. Wow.
0: That's amazing.
2: But nobody understand her.
1: (laughs) Well, she, you know, broken English, you know, sounds like broken Southern, like my English. So that worked (laughs) out pretty (laughs) good.
0: so you grew up in Wilmington all your life I've been here all my
1: life, except when you know I went into the military. It was the first time I'd ever been on a plane or away except from living in Florida for a while as a kid
2: where'd you do your your basic training
1: Fort Polk Louisiana
2: uh, yeah, that's what it is that's where my dad my dad did the same in Fort yeah, Polk he, I never told me. And they had like a, a, a jungle training camp there.
1: Yes, it was called Tigerland. And it was like the armpit of the South.
2: Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's where I grew up. Sure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't mean to offend
1: you. Sorry about-
2: <laughs> no. No, I mean, nobody is offended by being called an armpit. That's so. <laughs> all right. And, you know, The thing is about it, I just want to say this, um, because a lot of people really don't like this about me, is that I'm not authentic South. Um, because my folks are from Detroit and Chicago, right? So, I'm, I I do this thing like where I code switch is what they say, ah, and a lot of Black people do it where they sound one way with their people, but they sound another people when they're with they sound another way when they're with white people. ah, and I do that all the time. So I'm with you, and like I just like I let it go a little bit, but if I'm like around somebody from Chicago, suddenly I, I'll. suddenly I'll sound very different.
1: Oh, that's pretty neat. (laughs) Myself, I sound the same no matter what. Uh, We have friends that won't even talk to me on the phone because they say they can't understand the words that come out of my mouth. So they won't talk to me on the telephone.
2: Yeah. The bigger the crowd is, the more Southern I am. Oh, very good. (laughs) Yeah. Goddamn.
0: (laughs) And how long is basic training?
1: Well, it was eight weeks of basic, then eight weeks of AIT, and then you had then we had orders for Vietnam. Went to uh, Oakland Army Base, got diverted uh, and stayed there for six months. And then on April Fool's Day, I got I was placed on a manifest, which I thought was a big joke because I didn't even believe it to go check in, and but <laughs> sure enough, I was on the list, uh, and so I was shipped out and went to a fire base in Vietnam. I went to uh, Flew into Cameron Bay, flew to Vietnam on a airline called Flying Tiger, and, oh my God. and then uh, landed in Cameron Bay, and then went from with a chopper to the firebase and stayed there throughout my time there. You,
2: you, did you take fire at firebase?
1: Uh oh yeah, and there, uh, quite often actually. Uh, but uh, but I, but I never had to go jump in a bunker.
2: Okay, okay.
1: I never had and, to go hide in a bunker or anything like that.
2: So. But did you ever? I mean, did you ever? But when you walk, were you ever walking around and like have to duck bullets or? Oh yes. Like that? Now
1: there were times that we would take like rockets, and and you know, and and you just you can tell if, if it's ingoing or incoming or outgoing. So you learn to pick up the sounds. But when I first got there, yeah, you you had this little fear about you where you react to everything. And then after you're there a bit, you just don't really care because you kind of get used to the situation.
0: Right. Uh It becomes normal.
1: Yeah, it it does. You just get used to sounds and things. And so you just know when to duck and when not to duck. Did you
2: ever have to shoot at somebody?
1: Well, I fired quite a few times, but uh, I never knew if I hit anything because it was usually at night. So I... Probably shot the top of the trees out, and fall on that.
2: Wow, I had a, I had a stepfather who was a Air Force pilot, and he would he would he had a lot of PTSD, and he was bipolar, and he talked all about like st- statistical models of how many people he had firebombed and things like that. But it was like he was a he was a piece of work to live with.
1: Well, I'm sure because knowing that you know you're dropping you know something of mass destruction, and that you are going to take many lives, I'm sure that's a a hard thing to live with.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you had some PTSD coming home from that experience?
1: Uh, no, because my childhood was so bad that. Anything anything that I had going on, I could like pretty much handle anything. And I actually had went to a VA shrink and the guy told me that. He said, You got some problems, but you don't have PTSD <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Well, was it just your mom just mom throwing pans around the house? Like what I'm trying well, to kill uh, you with garlic? Yeah, it was the garlic problem. No, actually my uh my real my
1: father that you know that she married uh, he 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 had some uh, quite a few injuries when he he had been shot up had some head injuries and stuff when you know that's why he ended up in a hospital in Italy
0: right
1: and so when he came back you know he drank a lot yeah and when he drank he was very mean and so he mm. used to beat her right and, oh and so and he you know and he one time he she was seven months pregnant with my sister and. You know, he kicked her, and she actually lost a baby. She and so, and after that, he went to prison again. And so, the last time I saw him, I was like thirty-five years old. I mean, I was like three years old, and then I saw him when I was like thirty-five for about twenty minutes,
0: yeah. and
1: and it was something because you know, through all those years, you know, I didn't realize that my brother had actually been keeping in touch with him. But I never kept in touch with the guy because I really just didn't have anything to do with him. So uh, and then my my stepfather, you know, with us being his stepkids, like he was he was very like physically abusive. So he used to smack us around a lot to the point you just get numb, getting slapped around. So I was actually my stepbrother told me I'm the only person that he's ever met that was actually happy to get drafted and go to Vietnam to get out of a house.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so you come back from Vietnam, and what do you end up doing, Larry? Well,
1: I actually was working, when I got my draft notice, I was actually working with DuPont, the DuPont okay.
0: company. Yeah. So
1: I came back and actually returned to DuPont and worked with them
2: for 32 years at a petrochemicals plant. Wow. Okay. So you weren't like um, necessarily a dirty hippie. Out there listening to Led Zeppelin and smoking reefer. No,
0: I
1: only sto- I only started started smoking. I smoked weed when I was in the military. Sure, and then you know in Vietnam probably quite a bit. You know, and so uh, <laughs> I th-
0: I think it was part of the protocol, wasn't it, it? Was but
1: but then when I came back, like working with Dupont, because they they could randomly check you, and you always had to have your you know your mental state about you because you could blow the place up pretty easy. It's like That's I right. just started behaving myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was like
2: 21.
0: Wow. So 32 years.
2: That's 50, 53, isn't it? 50. Yeah, because
0: I, le- yeah, I left DuPont
1: when they, they sold the plant in 2001 to a, another company. And so I took an early retirement at 50 and a half, mm-hmm. yeah. deferred my retirement, and worked with them for an extra year. So I could be pension eligible at fifty one, and so, so I left there in two thousand two at the end, of like the middle of two thousand two. And so, and I, had you I
2: was, been, had you been doing some yoga the whole time, or is that when you said I need to, I need some, I need to do, find something?
1: Actually, when I was at Dupont, I was, uh, I was pretty much into martial arts. So my first, you know, hands on with any yoga was. One of the guys who thought I was really weird uh, gave gave me uh, a two dollars seventy five cent light on yoga, and I started oh, cool. using it. And the only reason, because I just wanted to get flexible, because it, it would look good if you had a lot of flexibility with your kicks with your martial arts. So. Right. Uh,
0: what kind of martial arts were you into? Uh,
1: Kempo and uh, and then later on
2: uh, Taekwondo. Yeah, that's you know my stepfather. That was the the first real flexible person I ever saw in person. When he one time he kicked the light out of the kitchen light, just jumped up and kicked it. And I'm like, whoa! That's I didn't know a human being could do that. You know.
1: Yeah, because then Bruce Lee did
2: it in a movie yeah
0: <laughs>
2: when did you What did you did you learn martial arts and in, in basic training and pick and just keep up or or did oh, something simply- you
1: know you had some hand to hand yeah and that was the idea but i was like the smallest one in my battalion so it would be easier to probably at that time it's like if you had an issue with someone you you'd hope to have a, like a larger friend that would handle the
0: Hand to
1: hand. Handle your problem
2: for you. <laughs>
0: Always a good idea. Yeah.
2: So you picked up martial arts along the way when you were in Wilmington, and Dupont yeah. somewhere. Mm-hmm. Where, where was that? Uh, with actually, I started with my cousin,
1: and then uh, later with a good friend, uh, John Stover, and then finally with uh, with a guy, uh, John Maynard, uh, with uh, that was doing uh, that he had worked with Chuck Norris. Wow. And then uh and then with a uh, a Korean fellow who passed away a few years ago. Like I was with him for quite a few years as well.
0: Mhm. Mhm.
2: And and so what year was that when you picked up the light on yoga? Uh 1978
1: with the light on yoga. Wow. <laughs> but the light that- never really turned on with <laughs> <laughs>
0: At what point did the light turn on?
1: Probably about two year two thousand. So it took a lot of slow learner.
2: Yeah. Wow. You you must have already with the light on you, but you must have already been pretty flexible by then.
1: Oh, I was I was very flexible then. I was far more than now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So you in two thousand, what changed for you that you kind of were interested in exploring yoga. Well, I had been
1: doing so many other things between martial arts, triathlons, bike racing, kickboxing, you name it, and just constantly, like, breaking something, something coming loose, doing this, doing that. I finally said, you know, I just really need to quit everything and just stick to one thing and quit killing myself. And so I started bringing my focus more to the to my yoga practice
0: right and you're about 50 at this time
1: yes a little over 50 actually
0: wow that's that's really interesting and and quite um a different experience i think than anyone we've talked to so far is coming to yoga and starting a practice you know in your 50s early 50s what was that like
1: it was actually, I, I enjoy, I love the Ashtanga practice because I like structure. Mm-hmm. And so with, because with the military, there was structure. In my home, it was a disaster. So the structure was nice to have. And DuPont at the, in, the, in the beginning, you know, it was very structural. I mean, we even had to wear uniforms to work. Right. So all the structure fit in. And then just the way the Ashtanga system was set up, I like the structure because it also fell in with martial arts on the way it's taught if you have a really serious teacher.
0: Yeah. Yeah, learning the progressions and the sequences. And it's also very physical. It's, like, really challenging.
2: (laughs) That's interesting, you know, because, like, when I see you, you you look like a guy that's maybe ha- been a long hair for a long time, and you. But you also look. You also look like if you had somebody said to me, "How old is Larry Hobbs?" Oh, well, I'd say he's probably about fifty three. And it's like, it's like you're you you're the aging stopped the moment you started a stronger yoga, and it's it's interesting. Helped.
1: It definitely helped, but but I did have long hair and uh i probably used to look like huckleberry finn when i was in high school you know just walking along because you know being a hillbilly southerner with a little long hair and whatever and then uh coming back after i got back from vietnam i actually didn't cut my hair for a a year because i had stopped getting haircuts when i was stationed at fort bragg because i was living off post for like the last five months before uh, I got out, I would just use back in the day, they had the, the dippity do that you could put in your hair. So I would shellack my hair back. So oh, it was
2: nice. Like
1: short, so I wouldn't have to get cut.
2: Yeah, that's what I do now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I, I've, I heard a real parallel. Parallel? Yeah, um, because my family life was was absolutely the same. It was chaos, and then ashtanga yoga just fit right in. It was like, oh, this is a structure that I've been looking for. And it, it's interesting because I and I think about my my grandfather in Italy and coming back, and he would say things, you know, like, well, this is what we were fighting for. We we're fighting for freedom of of thought. You know, we're free here. And, and my mom would say the same thing, you know, like the Germans, they're fascists, you know, so they won't even, they won't even cross the road if there's a red light, and so that had been instilled in me to like be deviant, you know, to break the rules all the time, and yet I took to that structure in Ashtanga Yoga. It's like, oh, this is actually, this is, I don't, I've had enough chaos. I had enough deviancy to last me a lifetime now i actually want a structure and it it struck me that you said that and i I wonder um do you do you feel like there's ever a disconnect between trying to be free and then also be structured
1: no because now i'm probably at more peace in my life because with my upbringing i my i really had a i had an anger management issue and so because all i ever there was never a kind word i mean i cannot remember like any good times coming up because there was always either yelling or getting smacked for one thing or another or being caught everything you did you know you were called stupid and there was a long time you know that Unless I was called stupid, I wouldn't even answer to my name around my family. And, and then my stepdad, he would say, boy, I'm talking to you. I said, well, oh, I didn't realize you were talking to me because, you know, I didn't hear stupid. So I figured you must have been talking to someone else. So, you know, that would bring a little comeback from there. And so. Uh, so it was nice to have the. The finally like getting away from everything, knowing how I didn't want to be. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then having all the the structure set around me, and just trying to find out more about myself. Like, hey, you know, you you're an adult. You need to be able to control, you know, this rage that is inside of you, and just very quick tempered and smart mouth.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Did you see that in the in the actual physical practice of stronger that you find yourself like right there again, like raging against a against a, a posture, like you know.
1: No, I actually, uh, from competing in tournaments and martial arts and all, I actually always found the stronger practice to be, like, calming, which I would have thought it would have had a different effect, but it Mm -hmm. actually had more of a calming effect because I had to focus so much on just trying to remember what to do that it (laughs) kept me from, like, you know, losing it. Right. Like I should say, I've never been pissed off like practicing.
0: Do you think that maybe starting in your 50s had something to do with that, that you sort of like got out a lot of that excess rajas or that like anger, that energy, and, and you were really like in that place, like at the yoga nushasanam. like now you've oh, you've done yeah. all of this other stuff and you're ready for something different?
1: Definitely, because everything else had always been like competitive stuff. Like you're like always feeling like you know you gotta like prove yourself. You know you got you got to be up there with the with the crowd. And then with Ashtanga, it's like a whole different group of. People, you know, you meet so many, you meet a lot of good people. And yet there are, there's quite a few jerks in the Ishtanga world, but there are jerks everywhere. So uh, the majority of people, you know, they're so like-minded. I mean, you meet worldwide, just good people Mm -hmm. and just being around the good people and the like-mindedness of them all, you know, it it does calm you.
0: Yeah. Who was your first teacher?
1: Uh, My first teacher was uh, John Scott's book
0: yeah mm. <laughs> that's a common story <laughs> we, we're we all learning from david swenson's videos or and books david or john swenson scott's book
1: something that i actually did a, a, like a 40-hour training with doug swenson oh yeah oh he's so nice ages ago and that was my and i was using that to
2: teach
0: oh cool yeah, yeah.
2: You two look a lot alike, actually.
1: Oh, I don't know if that's good or bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doug's he's he's different. Yeah, yeah. He's.
2: I remember I did a training with him, and at the end of the training, he showed us all pictures of of uh, medicinal plants that create psychedelic states. I was oh, like, oh, that's <laughs> that's cool, Doug.
0: Yeah, very good.
2: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh my goodness, you know, that, that reminded me of something, but I, I don't want to name toss on this, so I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> This I is the time to name, name
0: Toss. Uh, so,
1: because it was hilarious when I met a one certain individual who I didn't know but I do but I knew he was from North Carolina, you know, and when we meet and he doesn't know me at all, we're staying at the same hotel, and he's actually the guest teacher. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth, he goes, "Hey, Larry, do, do you have any? Do you have any weed?" <laughs> 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 and I'm going, uh, "No, but for all you know, I could be a cop."
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: But I guess I just
2: look. Type, I don't know you, yeah. you do actually. Um, yeah. yeah,
0: I was gonna ask if you'd ever met David Williams, but uh,
2: <laughs> Who are you calling him out for yeah, you're calling out David Williams
0: because <laughs> he's from North Carolina. No, come yeah. on
2: now, yeah. you're calling people out now, and now Larry's in trouble.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> no D- David, David will understand he's got a warped sense of humor as well, and
0: yeah, he, he's pretty open about these things. Oh, yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> But I was just shocked that, you know, I've never met this guy. And, and he would ask me that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's funny. And then uh, we had,
1: there was a couple of local ladies that were actually teaching Ashtanga. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. In we, North Carolina.
1: Uh-huh. And then they had they had studied with people who had been to India, you know, and they, they had learned some. And they'd also, you know, David Swenson. And so uh, in 2002, I actually went out to Seattle and uh David Greig was hosting Guruji. Oh, okay, yeah. you flew all
2: the way uh, out there to go see Guruji?
1: Well, my son was stationed at Fort Lewis Army base. So, wow. it, I ended up being able to go out there and visit him and spend and do a week with uh Guruji.
0: Oh, amazing.
1: So, then after that, uh later on we did like uh, you know workshops with uh Annie Pace, right. Tim Miller uh, Matthew Sweeney, the the Matthew Sweeney down in Bali, the uh, the other uh, yeah, yeah the, uh, not not the one in Houston, but Annie ended up being our main teacher for a while. We would go out to Crestone and visit Annie. In okay. Because when uh, when Sita and I got married, we uh, got married in a meditation room in Durham, and. The only way the lady, this friend of ours, would let us use the room, she said, you know, you'll you'll have to come and uh, do Annie's workshop to be able to use the room. So we said, okay. So we came in there, and so so we meet Annie, and I, we'd heard many things about Annie. And everything I did, she found fault in. <laughs> and even, you know, the guy that was going to marry us, this friend of mine, uh, he you know, he had a on one of the online certificates where you can marry people. So he got one of yeah. those and his girlfriend was there and Sita. So we were practicing and he's getting a little annoyed and Annie kept on and on and on, no matter what. I mean, there was nothing I could do that was right. And finally I just stopped and looked at her and I said, Annie, is there anything I can do right? Did I even walk in the door to your perfection? <laughs> and she cracked up. And after that, I mean, it was like piece of cake with Annie. So Annie was like my definitely, like one of the stronger holds on my Ashtanga practice because she's the one that finally said, you know, you need to quit all the other stuff you're teaching and open your own shala and go to Mysore.
2: Wow. wow.
1: And Sita had already went in 2005 and 2006. and uh, But I didn't make my first visit to... My soul to 2008. Okay. And Annie actually even wrote a letter, put it in an envelope, said, when you see Sherat, you give this to Sherrod. So I don't know what she said to Sherat, but Sherrod always looked after me.
0: Oh. <laughs>
1: That's so nice. Even when I drug him to the ground the first time he dropped me back. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, can you tell me what? I'd love to hear more about Annie I adore her can you tell me more about what you liked what you like about the way that she teaches you she is just
1: so strict (laughs) it's like if you've got a thin skin and you get your feelings hurt easily you better just stay at home (laughs) and not go if you want to learn and you want to be you know, called out, then go and deal with it because you will learn a lot. I mean, she will, she's very, very knowledgeable, but she holds you to task. I mean, she'll give you pop quizzes during, <laughs> she'll go like, what y'all are you on? You know, she said, what is the name of that? What does it mean? You know, she will just nail you on any little thing. And so it's good, you know. She has her little, like all teachers have their little quirks. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, when you come into certain asana, like especially when you're going back to Otamuka, it's like, don't move your feet where your feet are, leave them there. Don't dink around, you know. Is what she says. Don't waste your time. And so she, she's testy, but she's a, she's a great gal. Still goes to India. We still talk about once a month or so.
0: Oh, amazing
1: and, uh, she caught the bouquet at our wedding wow and yeah she about knocked down half the people to get it though <laughs> <laughs> but then she also she played harmonium sang for us and uh so it was sweet
0: nice
2: she you know she's close friends with my, my first mice teacher um guy Donahue. oh and they now, they spend a lot of time with uh, Shankarayana Joyce across town.
1: Yes, she still visits him constantly. Yeah. When yeah. she goes, the majority of her time is spent with him learning.
2: Yeah, and not with Sharat. No. And is that is that, a, is that okay for you, like that you're going to go and be with And Is Annie... Um, Oh, is any okay with, with that feeling?
1: Because Chirot's always been my teacher from the first time I went to Mysore. Uh-huh. And and she knows and she is perfectly fine with it. You know, she she doesn't always, you know, because she's older than Sherat. Yeah, yeah. And and it's like Guruji will forever be her teacher. Yeah. yeah. And so, but she knows that with our generation, you know, Sherat's gonna be my teacher.
0: Yeah. There's always a nice feeling and a, a sense of um I don't know, I guess dedication or devotion, some sort of uh connection, a deep kind of connection with your first like your real sort of mysore Because I, I know
1: that when like when you when you work on it, there are there are things that are that are different. Mm-hmm. And and she'll call you on it and say, like, no, this is the way Guruji taught me. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is how you're going to do it while you're with me. And so, but as if you have injury or, you know, even aging, she will allow it not to be. So strict. Yeah, so strict. And a lot of our friends, like they'll always say that Annie has always let me get away with everything. (laughs) Ever since I asked her, like, is there nothing I can do right for you? (laughs)
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> and so tell us a bit about like what's your experience with the practice and aging? I mean, you started when you were in your fifties and it's been twenty years now.
1: Well, it's like when when you when everything came easy mm-hmm. to when bending over and Surya Namaskar A some mornings is like, oh my goodness. You know, it's uh it, it it makes me like think back, you know, to like, wow, you know, I remember when this was like so easy and I wasn't really appreciating what I was doing
0: yeah. because
1: I didn't really have to think about it a lot. I could just, yeah. just on physicality, could do it. And now it's like I have to focus and understand more what's going on with my body and even my students' bodies to to realize that, You know, hey, you know, you have to really take your time and understand what's going on with you to now be able to take this asana. And if you're not able to take it on any given day, you just you you, you just wipe it clean and don't worry about it. Yeah. And with aging, you
0: find that happens more and more. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot more cleaning.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot more. Okay, You know, we'll just. This is what it is today. I had a spine surgery in 2008. I, uh, I had had some issues for years, and I had been getting injections in my spine, and it was actually like it's, it's more of a genetic disorder than it was, you know, anything else. I've never ha- actually had a yoga injury, uh, but I've had, you know, just some bad genetics, which Sherrod always says, you know, you blame your parents if your genetics are bad. So, you know, I'll talk <laughs> that on my mother's side. Yeah, but, uh, deserve it. but what was but wrong I,
0: with your spine?
1: Well, uh, I had a stenosis and I also just had very small vertebrae. Oh. And as, as I was getting older, I, I noticed I was, I was having trouble. Like my, my foot was turning out. Uh, I got to the point I was, I was having to get injections in my spine. Cause my leg was, you know, I was having some issues with my left leg. And then I, I started just, I would be walking along and I would just stumble, you know, and I'd get up and I'd run into the wall, you know, just certain things. And so finally, like one day I was, uh, I had jumped through and I was teaching a class and I looked and my foot was hanging and I couldn't use my foot. Wow. And so I, you know, I told my pain management guy about it and he said, yeah, you need to get an MRI. We need to, you have to, you need to see a neurosurgeon. Mm-hmm. So, they didn't lie, and the whole lumbar spine looked like a big thing of scrambled eggs. Oh
0: my gosh. And
1: so they had scheduled a surgery, but in the meantime, we had already made plans to go to Detroit, and it was over Sita's birthday weekend in October, and Richard Freeman was there.
2: And so. Oh, wow. We. With like a Matthew Darling's place? Richard, or Or uh allison Um, uh, we
1: were to see it was uh matthew darling and yeah. brought richard in yeah and so we we spent that weekend there you know and i explained to richard what was going on so you know he was telling me you know you know, be careful don't do this and that because i had my mri result and I, I let him know that you know i'm not trying to i'm not being a slacker but i can't stand on my left leg because my foot's not working So, but that was a good way to meet Richard because then every time we went to see Annie, we were able to stop off and be at the yoga workshop
0: and practice
1: at his shala.
0: That's amazing.
1: So the surgery ended up being seven and a half hours. Holy! And you know they monitored the spinal cord and they put in two rods and fourteen screws and and twelve. Plastic wedges that are like bone density. But when they connected the rods and all, they also had to like fuse my pelvis to my, you know, L5. So from there, I have no tilt whatsoever. And so you have to like go somewhere with it. So using hips. So then later, my hips started wearing out, and then my left hip had to be replaced. And then I kept dislocating it, so they had to put another one in, a different type in.
0: Right. Wow. And what about your cervical spine? Did they do that at the same time, or is that a different...
1: Cervical was a surfing accident back in 1989. I have to think back.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Wow. So how has that affected your practice then?
2: (laughs) Well, that's going to be total, right? It's, like that's, uh, you're total.
0: It's pretty much, it's uh man's.
1: But they look still look like the, a coffee table. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's hard to bend straight. It's just right. backmans are tough. Yeah, and, your, uh, your
0: spine doesn't bend; it's fused and together. And the way they
1: put the screws in and shaped everything, and then with the hip replacement, it's. Uh, Right side twisting, like anything coming over the knee, like binding is hard to the point. Sherat told me, said, You know, you used to do it, you don't have to worry about binding rich asana, C or D. Yeah, you know, if you can bind on the left, you know, it's easier to bind on the left, but not on the right. You know, forcing it, you know, and having, you know, and using a, a come along to pull myself across there. Yeah, I could probably get it, but it's not worth like blowing out my thoracic spine trying to get a twist in. So, nah. and, then, and then a couple of years back, he told me to just stop. After I had my hip replacement, he had told me to stop doing uh, supine krama as well.
2: The the last time I saw him on tour, um he had to help me in Marichyasana D, and I had I had never needed that before, and it was it was so damn humiliating. It it really it was it was awful. <laughs> but at the same time like there's a feeling of letting go like I don't have to be competitive with these kids anymore. I can just I it's also there's a kind of release to it.
1: Totally. And you know and you've been there done that so you don't need to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think it's really interesting. I'm I'm so happy you've shared what Sherat's told you about not like forcing the bind and you know, like, just forget about supta Kamasta, you don't really need to do that. Because sometimes I think, especially uh, newer teachers and younger practitioners really get this idea. Um, and, and sometimes not even just necessarily young in age, but just young in experience, you know, they get this idea that the series and this practice has to be done in a very fixed and rigid way. And there's not a lot of room for variation. But um And in my experience, it's never really been taught that way um, in India, uh, but sometimes that's the, I guess, interpretation that people walk away with. And so it's helpful to hear you explain how Sharat has even told you, like, you know, you can leave these things and not have to force yourself into positions that are not healthy for your body to take anymore.
1: Oh yes, you know, and and it's good, you know, hearing it come from him, and even to the point, like in January being there, it was uh, like after I was there the second day, I saw him outside, and, and he and he came up to him, and he goes, "Hey, you, you don't have to wait in the queue," he said. Go up, go up to the front, and just wait at the beside the altar with with the ladies that come in with their children. You know, they have children. He said, "You know, go there." He said, "You don't don't wait in the queue," and he said you you're you're older you go wait over there and, and you don't have to wait it's so nice
2: wow. so I was like
1: well wow that was really sweet and, and so uh hopefully in the years to come when i'm 70 75 80 or whatever how many more times i get there that uh, he'll he'll just roll me
2: in the door at some point <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's funny you know Robbie Cavallero, right
1: oh yes
2: you all got a lot of the same issues with your back and your neck he's had the same surgery yeah it's uh, you know he's Italian as well right yes he's like Italian uh royalty wow yeah his uh his uncle uh was field marshal for Rommel and like he was on the wrong side of the war
1: oh my goodness
2: <laughs> yeah he's got a story there for sure but I was just gonna tell I was gonna tell you a story I thought you'd like it when I first met Robbie I was in the foyer and he was uh standing in front of me cuz he it was he was next you know he was his turn and uh and Shrot yelled out next and then um Robbie walked in and Shrot yelled at him old student first <laughs> and he like Robbie you know he look old you know and so he didn't know what to do it was like i i I am an old student (laughs) (laughs) is it no no get russell russell's neck is like other old student other old (laughs) russell's like 30 years old he didn't look old at all oh
1: my goodness so if you don't mind me asking so how old are you now russell
2: I'm forty five now.
1: Oh man, you're like I mean, I've got kids older than you.
2: I know you do. <laughs> I know you do, but I, I I'm broke. I'm broken. I'm all broke. Everything hey, broke.
1: Once you hit over forty, everything you did early on in life comes back to haunt you. Yeah, it's man.
0: true. Wow. Is that ever true? It oh.
1: does. It starts coming back at you. You you really notice those things it's like, wow. Can't believe yeah.
2: all these years that came back. There was one day, uh, when Batabi Joyce was doing backbends with me and, uh, he wanted me to use my legs more to, to lift myself up and, uh, to prove a point, he just let me go. <laughs> and they call it, David Swenson called it the Batabi dribble <laughs> and my head dribbled on the floor and I, and I, yeah, you're right. I feel it right now. <laughs> <laughs> the head still hitting the floor of the dribble. Yeah, my neck, man. It's still feeling. Sure
1: it. Oh, my God. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But, it, you know, anyway, I use my legs.
1: Well, I know that the times that we've all practiced together during lead, especially in the four year, those have been the most hilarious, <laughs> crazy lead practices, having you two in there.
2: No. No, don't give me no bad reputation.
1: <laughs> no, it, it has been it has been so light because you know, cause you remember there's been a few times Sharad had to come in there and tell us to behave. That's right.
0: Yes. That's exactly and right. And naughty over there knocks
1: you over, you know, just being funny. So it's yeah, I sure. missed the foyer in the old Shala though. But the new Shala, it was nice being able to be there.
0: Yeah. You like it? We haven't been able to make it back to India yet to see the new Shala.
1: It, it's different. I mean, it's far different from the first time going into the old Shala when I was so scared that first Mysore practice
0: right. because
1: mm-hmm. there was Leno and the, every who's who in the Ashtanga world. And, and it was like my head was mushed for like the first three days. I was so nervous that the only thing I wanted to do was hurry up, get my practice done and get out of there. I mean, that's how nervous I was about being in there.
2: I remember one time on my, my first, maybe my first second trip, I don't know. um, Annie Pace came to town and, you know, she gets right of of first passage and she come in first and she's doing her practice. And there was like, I guess like rules that I didn't even know about. Like you were only supposed to do primary for a week and, you're only supposed to do, and then you're supposed to do intermediate.
0: For another week. For another
2: week. And Annie had been there two days, and I remember seeing her, and she was standing straight up and down with her leg behind her head. But like, she was just standing straight up and down. And Sherrod started yelling at her about how she was supposed to be doing primary or intermediate. And she's just real casual. She like started yelling back at her. Like, what am I supposed to do now? I'm standing here with my foot behind my head. <laughs> that's
0: Annie.
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. So you're so you run. Now Annie told you to run a shala.
1: Yeah, she had told me like you need to stop working with these other places and you need to have your own place and just teach ashtanga and quit with all this other nonsense.
2: Mm-hmm. And so you. you did you rent a space? Did you put the did actually, you get capital together? Or?
1: So unlike Saraswati just walking downstairs to teach, we just walk yeah. out the back door and
0: teach. That's so nice.
2: I think that's actually like the real model is like you work your whole life, you retire, and then you open up a shala in your house. Yeah. Cause that's before, the way to do it.
1: We actually had a little shala upstairs, which is now we, we still practice up here because it's still a little shop, but we have a day bed in it. And it used to have students come and practice upstairs, but this house is 100 years old, so it only has one bathroom. Right. And yeah. uh, and with seeking trying to get ready to go to work and all, and people coming up and down the stairs, and the dogs barking. We have these German shepherds, and it's like people knocking on the door and then having to keep them from eating the people up, trying to come in the house. <laughs> it was like, okay, we need to convert. And make the shala in the back. So in 2011, we created the shala in the back, and so
2: that's. You, it did it you build back. it, or you like convert a garage? Or?
1: Uh, it was a landscaping business from the previous owner. They had an office upstairs, and so one of my students, her husband was a building contractor, and he actually converted the whole thing for us.
0: Oh, that's awesome! Made wow. our shala, and you called it the Hanuman Ashtanga. Yoga Shala, right? Yes. And why did you choose Hanuman?
1: I've always liked Hanuman. I just thought he was cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You and Tim Miller. And Andrew. And Andrew. Yeah. And so right now students can come and practice with you. I guess maybe not right now with COVID happening. Yeah, I've been closed
1: since uh, March 23rd. Mm -hmm. But I've just been doing some Zoom classes, like three a week. Yeah. And, and and doing, you know, chanting with uh, Lakshmisha on Monday and Wednesday nights and then on Sunday morning with uh, through Belgium with uh, Lynn and Ampanet.
2: Oh, oh nice. those people. They're nice. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so that's been good. And then one of my students is actually from Mysore, and she lives in Charlotte, this lady named Lakshmi Kumar. And she, uh, she's been chanting uh, – also with, my, uh, with the students and, and working with, with us on different chants and all just working with our pronunciation. So it's been nice to, of her to offer to teach us as well.
0: Well, oh, perfect. That's sweet. And so if students uh, want to come and find you, Larry, can they come to your website? And when, you, when things reopen, you're going to start teaching again?
1: Oh, yes, totally. com
0: okay i I just
2: want to ask you one last question though um before we move on when what kind of i just want to ask like compared to how Annie teaches or how Sharat teaches, i want to ask like what kind of students do you get, and how do you like to teach them
1: i uh my students actually a lot of times i call them the aARP group because, <laughs> because my my youngest student right now is like forty. And my eldest is 80.
0: Wow. wow so I, 80.
1: I, you know, I look at them, especially when they're just, when we're doing standing and kind of like, you know, body map them and see like what's, what's going on with them. And then if they need, then I will allow, you know, adjust their practice to what they need.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I try, you know, I keep it traditionally strict, but if, Someone has had like both hips replaced, a knee replacement. It's like no, you know, you can't do that. You know, you need to be doing this, yeah, because you're going to blow out your lower body if you try to do other stuff. And so there, you know, there has to be that that fine line on like with the younger students. Yes, then, and they're healthy. You know, they're going to require the total line more. Age gets a little preference especially they've had a lot of things going on and if they let me know like when students come in if they don't tell you there's something wrong with them then you know you can't just mind read and know that oh i didn't know this person was like their blood pressure is like boom or they had a stroke a year ago or you know just anything so it's, it's good when the student is you know feels comfortable enough to actually tell you everything that's going on because i know personally when I go to in India, I carry my medical records. Sherrod knows everything that goes on with me.
0: Yeah.
1: And he adapts to that with how he teaches me.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you're you at authorized level two now.
1: Yes. But I noticed that even though I got my new certificate when I was there, mm-hmm. when they published the list, I wasn't on the list. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Man,
0: oh, dear. Well, a few people got a demotion, so... <laughs> I saw that. i like, wait a minute. They were level yeah. two when I saw them.
2: Yeah, no more. Not no I more. See your name still in
1: red.
0: Yeah, see, thankfully. And I see,
1: Russell, what? your name still has a two beside it.
2: Yeah, that's that's going to be the way it is. I'll be demoted soon, though. <laughs> Yeah,
0: that bloody list—it's always causing problems. <laughs> I know it's like you know this list. It can't be that hard, but I guess it is.
2: <laughs> but it's the same thing with the postures for me. It's like that list. Like if if we didn't have it, I would I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be I wouldn't have an ambition to to get up the list. You know, <laughs> I want my name in red. You know, but like. <laughs> Once, once I know, once I fully realize like that ain't going to happen for me, then I can just relax and just do my yoga. Yeah, there
1: you go. Because there are things now it's like, why would, you know, it would be nice. But at my age, I'm thinking like, why would I want to try to do any other type of, you know, uh, asana when yeah. I'm going to do more harm than good when I can sustain my practice now with what I do? And and even in intermediate, it's like there's no way I'm gonna do coptasna. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no. I can do I I could couldn't even get over that far when I was healthy. And so
0: Yeah. And, yeah. Uh,
1: but there are there's eighty percent of it I can do. So yeah. I'm happy with the eighty percent.
0: Yeah, it's it's nice to be able to use the practice in a way that's therapeutic and is actually making you feel better in a, in your body and in your mind. And it's a very holistic approach. I think as you age, you have to focus more on, on that aspect rather than on the sort of, um, like competitive or, uh, demonstration type aspects of the, yeah, asana. Sometime,
1: you know, we've always been told, you know, that yoga is not competitive, but yet you see so much competitiveness
2: with yeah. you know, the, the, yeah, that's right. the
1: practice you know not only ashtanga but other practices as well you mm-hmm. sure you see that and it used to be and uh that you would hear you know you you hear in the groups like everyone's always talking about what asana they were on that's right yeah and but now you know i noticed this time with the with the group and even the other year it was a it was actually less talk about people asking like what asana are you on, which I thought was interesting that there was that little shift, even though the there was a lot of younger, very young individuals there. But it seems like the other group that had been going there a longer time, like they no longer, I saw them more enchanting than actually being like concerned about what asana were they doing today or tomorrow. You know, someone was their first time, you know, it's like, wow, you know, and and they didn't really get a lot of guidance on the, like the protocol. And so it's, uh, it's funny to see because Sherrod would say, what are you doing? Like, where are you? Why are you doing that? You know? And it's like, and they're going, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, so it's something that uh, to see, but then, you know, the first trip, you know, everybody's a little in awe mm-hmm. and it's a little overwhelming because I know my first trip, if uh, if Sita hadn't been with me, because she had been there twice, when we landed in that, Bangal- in that Bangalore airport, I would, that old airport, yeah. I yeah. Already, just soon I saw, but I was ready to get on the next plane heading back.
2: Uh, I know <laughs> what you mean.
1: Really. Mm. It, was, with- uh, it was quite a bit of shock. Even from being in Vietnam and being around things, it was like, man. This, this is, is worse than Vietnam. In Vietnam. This is
0: only- all. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And was that your first time out of America? I mean, since Vietnam?
1: Uh no, I had been to, well, I'd been to the Bahamas. You know, mm-hmm. I went to Mexico, but you can't really, I don't really count them as anything you, like Yeah, first time to Asia, right? Yeah, Asia was like that was uh that was my first major like stepping off and going like Oh my God! This bathroom is like worse than the the little places we used the bathroom in Vietnam. I mean, (laughs)
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, we want to thank you so much for joining us today, Larry. Well, it's been a
1: joy. Uh, This was fun.
2: I can't wait to come out and see your little Shallow in the backyard. I can't wait to come out.
0: Yeah, we want to come visit
1: now. Yeah, we do. It's like the first time like when you and I were talking, you know, Russell, when we, we like, you know, we would say hello and all, you know, and I'd see you and you'd go to at times, and and then we would talk. Then that one day when we finally had a had a talk, and you said that, yeah, you know, I come to North Carolina, and I was like, what?
2: Yeah, <laughs> I've been to Wilmington a bunch, and I never, and I just like I should have gone to see Larry. Like, what was I thinking?
1: And So like now, yeah, you are always welcome, and uh, it would it would really be an honor to have you here. I mean, We'd I don't know it. if I can afford you to have you here to do a workshop, but.
0: Uh, <laughs> I, I come cheap these days. Well, it's wonderful to chat with you. Thanks very much for joining us, Larry.
1: Oh, thank you so much as well.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony with me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in
1: eternity's shadow Watching the breaking waves There's a hard wind
0: so...